0: Hi, Welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello everyone. Man, it's good seeing you all. Some of you I'm seeing for the first time in a while. This is kind of exciting. So uh, glad to have everyone here and um, also glad to have Uh, people joining us online, so thank you for joining us if you're watching online or in the overflow room. Um, Have you ever learned a little tip or a trick that like just changed your life? You ever had one of those? You know? I mean, we can probably spend all day just kind of sharing some of those, but I want to share one with you to start out with today. So, you know, frequently we will, um, you know, order pizza or something like that, And then we'll, um, why is that up there? Take that off the screen. Ben's a little jumpy. He's got caffeine. I see that. (laughs) Just a little click happy going on there, right? Um, But you ever have one of those tips or tricks that really just help you out? So for us, like we'll order pizza and then we'll take the leftovers and we'll put it in uh, a bag, in a Ziploc bag, and we'll just put it in the fridge or we'll, sometimes even freeze it for later. But, um, but, you know, you try to get the air out of the bag and you just can't get it all out, right? Because you want it to be like vacuum sealed. Well, I found this trick the other day, all right? So here's the deal. So you're like, here's, if you want to put oranges in a bag, tangerines, which you never do, but that's all I had, all right? <laughs> and, you, you know, you try to, to get the air out of it and it's still, you know, there's plenty of air in there. You just can't get it all out. So here's the trick. Here's the trick. You take a straw... Anybody know this one already? Yeah? This is new to me. All right? And then you. Look at that. Vacuum sealed. Don't say you've never learned anything in church before, okay? <laughs> kind of a silly illustration. Here are actually a couple better ones, though. Now you can put it up there, Ben. So the top five most useful life hacks. I found these online. So if you have a lot of tank tops, you can put them all on a single hanger if you have, what are the shower curtain rings? Is that what that is? Yeah. Look at that. I can put all of my white tank tops on there <laughs> at one time. We don't, we don't even have to fold them, babe. So, all right, well, now the next one, don't put it up yet, Ben. So, if you have like a can of paint, I had to check just to make sure. If you have a can of paint, you know, and you have a paintbrush, you know how you're like, you rub the paint off, you wipe the paint off, and it always goes over the side, right? Well, check this out. Put a rubber band across the, yeah, and it all goes into the can, and none of it goes on the side. How cool is that? Yeah, that's worth coming for. That's worth coming for. Now, how, Now here's another one. So, have you ever cut the end of your finger I've done that, like, when I'm peeling potatoes. I just can't not. just the Off goes the end of my finger. It just happens all the time. And so you put a Band-Aid over the top, and it just kind of sticks out. It's just this goofy-looking thing. Well, here's a, here's a life hack for you. You cut the two sides, and you cross them, and it snugs right over the top of your finger, the Band-Aid. Doesn't that look good? You see that? Cut the two ends, cross them over, pulls it down. And you don't look like a goofball. It just looks, looks much better. All right, here's another one. Now, this is, this is the first world problem. But you know when you're getting gas at the gas station and you pull up and you try to put the little thing under there to hold it and there is no little thing? You had that and you're like, I got to stand here. I mean, this is for like a whole minute. Well, here's a life hack for you. Check this out you put the little cap underneath it. Yeah. Check that out. I haven't done that yet. I hope it doesn't overflow or anything, but it should work. Yep. Hands-free gas pumping. <clears throat> Big deal. Now that my favorite one though is this. So, you know, you you tell your spouse or, you know, one of your children, hey, I'm going to go warm up a couple bowls of some leftovers, maybe some Chinese or whatever, and you go to put them in the microwave and they, you know, two bowls don't fit, right? You just can't. So now one of you gets to eat before the other. It's a bad deal. You know, all that stuff. Because I'm usually eating before Rose gets a chance to have hers, you know. Um, But here's the life hack for it. You level up. Ooh. Put a coffee cup underneath one of them and then they both fit in the microwave. Kind of cool, right? Right? You guys can go home now. I think we're done. We've learned all we need to learn. But these are called life hacks, life hacks. So life hack is an idea, a strategy or technique adopted in order to manage one's time and daily activities in a more efficient way. And I love these things. I love things that save me time, save me money, save me energy, uh, and they just make our life much easier. Well, let me submit to you that I believe that there are things in our life that we can do that I would call spiritual life hacks. These are things that help us spiritually. They increase our spiritual condition. They make life better. They help us to grow as followers of Christ. They're very practical. And our Bibles are full of these things, full of them. In fact, when I'm reading through scripture, if I go back and look at what I've highlighted, they tend to be these life hacks. Like, oh, you should do this. You should do this. You should not do that. You know, those are the things. Well, today, we're going to be starting a summer message series uh, in the book of James. Because James is one of those books that many biblical scholars say is the most practical book in the Bible. It's just full of spiritual life hacks. And as we learn them and as we apply them, our lives will go so much better. So our series title is Life Hacks practical advice from the book of James. Now this is a great series to bring a paper Bible to. I know many of us read our Bibles on our iPads or on our phones or we're just looking at the scriptures up on the screen or on our handouts. Um, But I don't know about you, but it is difficult for me to take notes inside of those applications. And so I would encourage you guys through this summer is to bring in your paper Bible, bring a pen, bring a highlighter, and just make notes as we walk through, because we're, it's basically going to be a Bible study this summer. And if you don't have a readable Bible, just stop by the Welcome Center after service, and we have Bibles for you. So just pick one up, and we'll give one to you. All right, so you can turn in your Bible if you would like. We're going to be uh, in James uh, chapter 1. And James, by the way, is near the end of the New Testament, so it's near the end of your Bible it's between between Hebrews and First Peter. It's a kind of a small book. It only has five chapters in it. Uh, the author of this book is James, and he was the brother of Jesus. And this was probably written around uh, fifty or sixty A.D. So think of it about twenty to thirty years after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended into heaven. Now, at the time of this writing, James was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Um, he was probably a pastor in the, troop, in the church there. So today's message is going to be called Life Hacks, Endurance Under Trial. And that's kind of a theme through these first 12 verses that we'll be studying today, is just having endurance under trial. Um, and we'll start with uh, verse 1, but let me pray first. So God, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you do not leave us as orphans. You do not leave us alone here on earth to figure things out by ourselves. You have given us instruction on how to succeed in this life and how to succeed spiritually to advance the kingdom of God. So, God, today I pray that you'd open up our hearts and minds to receive from you uh, from your word today. Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it specifically to our lives. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give me your words to speak today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be kind of doing a Bible study format. I'll read a verse or two or three, and then we'll talk about it and just kind of walk through the first 12 verses. All right, so verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. I'm actually going to stop there. Someone just got panicked and said, if we're going to stop at every verse, how am I going to get out of here today? So, no, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. But I do want to talk about verse 1, because James is the half-brother of Jesus. I want you to think about that. They had the same mom, different dads, okay? He's the younger brother of Jesus. He knew him really, really well. But what is James saying in that first verse? He is saying, He calls himself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, he is saying that Jesus is his master. Think about that, because he calls himself a servant. So he's calling his older brother his master. Second thing he says is of the Lord Jesus. So he's not only calling him his master, he is designating Jesus as the Lord of the universe. So there's a definition that's going on. And then he says Jesus Christ, which, by the way, Christ is not Jesus' last name, just so we all know. Yeah, they didn't have last names back then. They would be called, he was called Jesus of Nazareth. But Christ means the Messiah, you know, the prophesied Messiah. So he's also making a statement that my brother Jesus, not only is he my master, he's my Lord, but he is the Messiah. He's making that statement. Now, many biblical scholars uh, believe that James didn't believe all of that at first when Jesus first started his ministry. And it wasn't until after Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven before James started to believe that. But by the time of this writing, I mean, James has that all settled. He believes that Jesus is who he said he was. Now, um, James ended up moving from Galilee to Jerusalem to lead the church. He was in the church in Jerusalem when uh, the church started to be persecuted, when Stephen was stoned and the church was scattered. So this this message is to the the believers who are scattered, the refugees throughout. And persecution continued there in Jerusalem, even to the point where James is finally martyred, he's killed for his faith. A Greek theologian Clement of Alexandria says that James was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and was beaten to death with a club. I mean, so he really believed what he did, what, that Jesus was the Messiah. Because all he had to do was renounce that. But they threw him off the temple and he did, that didn't kill him. So they stoned him and they ended up beating him with a club to death. So he died for his faith. But the Christians were under that kind of persecution, and they were refugees, refugees throughout the area. And so they're suffering. If you're a refugee, I mean, you leave with just really the clothes on your back to a foreign land, and that's who he's, he's speaking to. So he goes on in verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Well, you can say that James is like the eternal optimist. He's saying, consider it pure joy that you're facing trials. I don't know about you, but it's, it's difficult to consider it joyful when we face trials, right? But James is saying, consider it pure joy because it's going to produce a fruit in you It's going to mature you. Now, you might think that that's a little bit far-fetched, right? That trials would create maturity. But I've seen it in my life in a couple of instances. uh, First of all, when I went through the divorce, uh, my divorce, my first marriage, um, man, that was a trial. That was really difficult circumstances. But it changed me. People that knew me before the divorce and knew me after, would say that I'm a different person. It was only through that trial that I was changed. Also, I've seen it, I've seen it in my kids' lives as well. I'll give you an example. When, I was, um, uh, when my kids were younger, I used to coach like baseball and softball at uh, Eastside Little League in South Bend. And so I'd, I'd be coaching these games, and I'll tell you what, the parents, you guys ever been to a Little League game? the parents are insane anymore. I mean, they they are screaming about a, a call like an eight-year-old, you know, stepped off the bag and got tagged and they're like, no way. And they're yelling at the opposite kids and yelling at the parents and the refs. I'm like, this is crazy. Well, um, when John Michael, when I adopted John Michael and uh, he started playing wheelchair basketball down in Fort Wayne, we had him on a team down there. I mean, it was super competitive. It was so much fun to watch these Kids play this competitive game of basketball. Um, but there was one time I remember, we were actually like in the, the national playoffs. I mean, we're, I think we're down in um, uh, Kentucky, right? Louisville. We're down in Louisville. And I mean, like super competitive game. And this one little boy who you could tell had never really played before, probably had never scored a basket. The ball came to him and he's kind of under the paint. Now, what I would have done is just like, whap, you know, knock the ball, clear out of the court or whatever. But the kids, I mean, this is the middle of a super competitive game. They backed off and they let that little kid move forward and take a shot, you know, hoping he'd make it. And, you know, I don't even think he made it to the rim. Um, But they, they let him do that. And I'm like looking around at the other parents and the other parents are cheering and like, oh, and I'm like, what is this? They have, like, these good attitudes, and the players, I mean, even John Michael, I remember that. He backed off. I'm like, what is going on? But through those years of watching parents and watching the the refs and watching the kids, I mean, it was a totally different atmosphere. Super competitive, but the sportsmanship was over the top. There was character, maturity in these kids and parents that I had not seen in little league sports, and, and they weren't Christians. Very few were actually Christian parents and Christian players. But they had this maturity. And I and said, you know what? I think I know why. Because if you've ever had a kid in a wheelchair or, uh, you know, a special needs sibling, you understand there's challenge and trial in that. And so because of that challenge and that trial, it brings maturity. And it really does. That is, that is the, the, the life hack for this one is that trials are great opportunities for our faith to grow. They're great opportunities for us to mature. And we need to embrace them joyfully. Because James is saying, you're in a trial. This is a great opportunity for you to mature. It's a great opportunity for you to grow. So embrace it, rejoice in the midst of it. So here's a couple of questions. We've all been in a trial recently, right? Yeah, I mean, it may not be a big deal, but I haven't been able to go to Starbucks at Martin's because I don't have a mask that I'm putting on, and you need one over there, so. But we all have been through these trials, greater ones than that, of course. So here's a question. Have I been joyful during this crisis? Ask yourself that. Have I been joyful in this crisis? Because it's an opportunity. And here's the second one. Have I allowed this crisis to mature me? Maybe that's more important. Have I allowed it to mature me? I think a key to that, by the way, is to be joyful in the midst of trial, because I think that produces perseverance. All right, it's a little convicting, a little convicting for me. I could have used this message about eight weeks ago, maybe. Maybe. Um, but we're still in a crisis, guys. I mean, there's still challenges happening. A friend of mine texted me last night and said, hey, um, a coworker of mine just tested, posi- tested positive for COVID. And I work with him pretty closely. Should I come to church tomorrow? I'm like, no, not till you get tested. You know, make sure you're clear before you, you come in. And that's just the reality of what we're dealing with. He would rather be at church today and he's not here. So we still have these challenges, guys. But let's be joyful in them. Let's let God produce maturity within us in the midst of it. All right, moving on. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must, not, you must believe and not doubt, Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So in this first section of Scripture, James is saying, hey, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Which is good. And he says, God will give it to you, but you got to believe he's going to give it to you. You cannot doubt. So if you're going to ask for something, make sure you're you're believing he's hearing you. Make sure you're believing that he's going to give it to you. Because God will not answer your prayer if you don't. He goes on to say that if you don't believe, if you're just asking, then you're like a a wave of the sea tossed back and forth. He actually says... um, that if you doubt, he calls you double minded and unstable. <laughs> and I get it, but I don't know about you. Asking is, comes easy for me. It's the believing part that's hard, right? I mean, like, okay, asking God for something is, comes easy, but believing it is difficult. That's called faith. That's called faith. It's what he's talking about. And if you wanna learn more about faith, go to Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to encourage you, that's your assignment this week, is to read Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the faith chapter. It defines faith, it talks about faith, it talks about people who had faith. And it actually, as you read that, it grows your faith. I believe it grows your faith somewhat. But I want to read uh, verse 1 because this is the definition of faith. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance for what we do not see. Confidence is in what we hope for, and assurance in what we do not see. I'll just give you a small example. I have confidence that our live feed is working right now. <laughs> you know? And I'm, I, I have assurance that people are watching it online, right? Hey, guys. But I can't see it. I can't see it. I don't really know that it's happening, but I'm hoping that it is. You know. I, so I have faith in our tech guys. I have faith in Joe Tran who put this all together Faith in Xfinity, that they're streaming it for us. Well, if we can have faith like that, can't we have faith in an almighty God? Right? Because we do. We have, every day, we have faith when we're driving down the road. We have faith that the car coming our way is not going to swerve over and hit us. When we go to start our car, we have faith that it's going to turn over. Guys, we can have that kind of faith in God. But it is something that grows. I will tell you, it is something that grows. Because, I mean, for example, if you go to start your car and it doesn't start, well, the next time you go to start it, you're probably, like, worried. Is it going to start? You know, if it doesn't start, you know. But as your car starts consistently over time, your faith grows. And that's what happens when we pray. When we pray and we believe that God hears us and he answers our prayers, it grows our faith. When others pray and they have answers to prayers, It's contagious and it builds our faith. So our faith can grow. No matter if you have a little bit of faith or a lot of bit of faith, this is something that we can all grow in. But faith is a requirement. This is your life hack. Faith is a requirement for our prayers to be answered. Not only is it a good thing, it's a necessary thing according to James. If you doubt, you shouldn't think that your prayers are going to be answered. We have to have faith. Now, I will tell you, sometimes the answer to our prayer is no. Okay? Sometimes it is no. That's why we pray and then we submit it to God's will because God actually knows better than we do. He does. He knows better than us. But we still have to believe that God hears us and that he will answer that prayer. Okay? All right. Oh, we still got time. Good. Good. A couple more verses. I really like doing a Bible study with you guys. This is fun. All right, verses nine through eleven. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should not take pride in their But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant; its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. All right, so this one, this is kind of a tough one. This starts to hit home with us because we live in America. This is a lot easier to understand in the rest of the world where poverty is, I mean, it's all over the place. In America, when we talk about poverty, it's still being pretty rich compared to the rest of the world. So this one... Is a hard one, but we need to, we need to talk about it. Because The American dream, we all know it, right? But here's the definition, is the aspiration, aspirational belief in the U.S. that all individuals are entitled to opportunity for success and upward social mobility through hard work. In America, we happen to live in, I really do believe, the best country in the whole world. Because if somebody wants to succeed financially, they can. You know, a little bit of hard work, a little bit of luck, you know little bit of skill, and they can be financially stable in this country. Most most people can, all right? It's a great country. The problem is that becomes a belief system. The belief system is that I live in America, therefore I should do everything I can to be wealthy. I should be rich. You know, it's keeping up with the Joneses. If somebody else has something, then I should have it, and we are drawn towards things. We are drawn. We give up family. We give up church to go after the almighty dollar. That's just what happens. There are a lot of churches around uh, the country that teach if you're a believer in Christ, then you get to be rich. You know, it's called the prosperity gospel. Some of you have, have heard of that. Some of you might have attended a church where that's the case. They're saying God's will for you is for you to be rich. That's not what I understand from scripture, right? This is one of those scriptures where he's saying believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. He's saying, if you aren't rich, that's a good thing. That's a high place because you know what? You're not going to depend on money because you don't have it. You're going to depend on God. And when you depend on God, go back to the earlier verses, your faith grows your faith grows. But if you have money, then you depend on your money. You depend on your checking account. You depend on on yourself. You know, my car broke down. God, I need you to help me get to work. No, if you have money, my car broke down. Okay, I'm going to have to take that in. I'm going to get a rental car. You know, we just buy ourselves out of those situations. Um, the greatest example of this was growing up, my dad was a general contractor and uh, and so I got to learn firsthand what it's like to own your own business. you know any business owners in here yeah a couple um, the the business owners you know there's no guaranteed paycheck right you you are like waiting for that next job, that next job um, because there's no guarantee that you're going to get that next paycheck and uh, my dad there are many times that On Friday, he was wrapping up a job, and he had no job lined up for Monday. And uh, he'd just be trusting God. And by Monday, he was starting his next job because it came in through the weekend. Man, that was a great opportunity for his faith to grow. So it's the same way. You know, if we don't have the finances, it's a great way for our faith to grow. I've seen that over in South Sudan. Man, when they are praying all night so that they have food the next day, and then God shows up. God shows up. But if we have the money, if we have the finances, that can be a challenge. It really can. So here's two thoughts from this. If you feel like you're in humble circumstances financially, rejoice. Okay? It's an opportunity for your faith to grow. It's like being in that crisis. The second thing, which is really this probably applies to most people in here. If you feel you are somewhat rich, or let me put it this way, you probably are somewhat rich compared to the world, all right, compared to the rest of the world. Uh, be careful. Be careful because wealth is deceiving. We can learn to rely on rely on it, rely on ourselves, and lose the opportunity to rely on God. He also says that, man, it will fade quickly. Anyone have a retirement fund that you saw over the last eight weeks, you know? Whew like that. I mean, everything we had planned on, we had hoped for retirement was sitting in that account. And just in a few weeks, man, it is down, I mean, like 35%, just like that. All right. So our goal in life should not be to become rich. That's the life hack. Don't teach your kids that that's the goal. Don't live like that's the most important thing in your life, because it's not. Actually, Matthew six thirty one says, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. One thing that we can trust with God is that he will take care of our needs. What we eat, what we drink, what we wear, where we live, he will take care of those. And we can trust him in that. All right, one more verse for today. Kind of wraps up this section. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. So I looked up the word perseveres, because that's, that's an important thing. We, if we're in a trial... We, we all have to go through it, right? I mean, we all go through it. But there is something about persevering under trial that's different than getting through it. So here's the definition of uh, pers- uh, perseveres In the Greek, it's hupomono, something like that, which means to stay under, to remain, to undergo, to bear, to have fortitude, to persevere, to endure. So persevering under trial, let me submit to you, does not mean... Just surviving. It doesn't mean just getting through it. And it certainly doesn't mean getting through it with a lot of complaining. (laughs) Okay? My family tends to uh, say that I'm overly dramatic. I don't know why. (laughs) I I haven't figured it out. But they say I'm overly dramatic. And then they'll point out times that that's the case. And I'm like, oh, that's what you mean. We had one of those recently. Last Sunday... Um, my daughter, Anna, and my son-in-law, Nate, were back here from California. And my wife came up with this great idea. Let's do family pictures because we're all together at the same time. And uh, I don't know about you. Any guys here, like, really love family pictures? Any kids? Anybody at all? Any? No, I was just, man. I'm like, that's a bad idea. We should not do family pictures. It's a beautiful day. Um, it was after church on a Sunday afternoon. And so we went to downtown Elkhart, and and Rose, she kind of bribed us by saying, We're going to get ice cream at the Vanilla Creamery afterwards. And so that's all I could think about. You know, it's like, Let's get this done. You know, let's go. And so I I just did not do well. I mean, we took the first photo, and I'm like, Are we done? Let's. And she's like, No, we got to go on. And so anyway, I persevered a little. I'll just say a little. There was a little grumbling, a little complaining but it was worth it, all right? It was worth it. We actually got all the photos that we wanted, um, and I want to show you just a couple of these photos. Here's the first one. This is just, this is how we all felt that day, okay? So that one was not easy to put on uh, (laughs) at all. John Michael is smiling. I don't know why, but everybody else is not. All right, so here's the next one. I love this photo because... I love to see Rose laugh. When she laughs, it just lights up a room. So that one was, was fun for me. Uh, here's the next one. This is probably my favorite photo of us. You know, that's the Schwartz family band right there, our album cover. You know. But our last photo of the day, if we had stopped early, we wouldn't have gotten this photo. Yep. I mean, it took us a long time to stage that one, you know. Maybe a little bit of Photoshop happened, but, but the deal is, you know, that one was the one that was talked about the most on social media. If we had stopped early, we wouldn't have ever gotten that one, right? If they had kind of given in to my complaining, it wouldn't have happened. You can take that photo down. Um, Galatians 6.9 says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's a message of perseverance. It's a message of perseverance. So here's your life hack Perseverance is rewarded in God's kingdom. Perseverance is rewarded in God's kingdom. So here's our last question. With everything that's been going on, Uh, through the crisis, and also, you know, with the writing that's happening now, just ask yourself this question. Do my recent conversations sound more like complaining or persevering? Complaining or persevering? I'm going to invite Matt to come up here. Where's Matt? There he is. He's going to close us out.